Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all new Rate Shield approval. If you're looking to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a game changer. And here's why Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Here's the good part if rates go up, your rate stays the same. And if rates go down, then your rate also drops. So you win either way. It's the kind of thinking that you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, just go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Monday, November 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, it's the Monday crew. It's Jason Moser and Taylor Mockerman. Chance, how are we feeling? Hey, hey, ready for Thanksgiving? Man, yeah, so ready. We're gonna get the dozens of listeners ready for Thanksgiving because we were looking out over the headlines today, and this is one of those days where there's there's nothing that leaps out as like, oh my gosh, this is the thing that we have to talk about. Here's the big earnings story, that sort of thing. So we thought, you know what? Let's help the dozens of listeners get ready for Thanksgiving because what do a lot of people dread about Thanksgiving? Uh, the conversation, <laughs> the conversation, because you, someone you, you're going to sit down at the table and someone's going to bring up probably politics. Had a little bit too much mead before before dinner. Exactly. So we're going to arm the dozens of listeners with some things to talk about that aren't politics, and these are things that could conceivably come up because they are they are somewhat timely. Let's start with Facebook because Facebook over the last week. Has become more and more interesting as we have these articles coming out in the New York Times uh, last week. We've got you know various op eds coming out, and we were talking right before we started taping. Jason, it really seems like the curtain is being pulled back on, particularly the executive suite at Facebook, as we have these reports of well, here's what they knew, and here's when they knew it, and there are. Definitely some competitors and probably some investors out there who smell blood in the water. I, yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I, I certainly look at Facebook as a, from an investor's perspective, a company where I have, um, I've certainly changed my tune on leadership significantly. I think for a long time, I felt like Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg were a dynamic duo that that really. Had had a good idea of where they wanted to take the business, how they were going to get there. On on the calls, they just they were always on point. Paint a very good picture of a long term strategy there, um, and and not just based really on these these articles that are out during this news cycle right now, but just based generally on what we're coming to find out about the company, what we know about Facebook in general, and. Sort of what social networking is doing mm-hmm. to society is is a is a on the whole. I just I've lost all confidence in this leadership team completely. Like I trust them zero, not at all. And like Facebook was not a company I was ever going to own anyway. It's just not something I'm a fan of. It's a pure advertising play. I get it. I think if I'm going to invest in advertising, I would rather own Alphabet. But for Facebook, you know, it just seems like this dream of a more connected world being some sort of utopia has been just flattened on its ass so severely here in 2018. I mean, it's very hard for me to take to take a step back here and and understand exactly how they change the narrative to get back towards the this this connected world is is such a good idea because it I think what it does ultimately it just it just exposes our our just our. How we just fall back into tribalism? I mean, everybody just falls back to what they really want to believe in anyway. You know, it's 
I don't know. Yeah, and they prey on that. And I mean, because engagement is the number one metric that these companies like Facebook are, are gearing towards. And so they're great at keeping you on the site. But if things like this keep coming out to where you kind of don't ever want to go back to the site, that's that, that's the end of their business model in my mind. Because you know they do all the marketing for other companies to go to, to leave the site of Facebook. But where do you see advertisements to go to Facebook? Unless it's in your mind, you don't go to Facebook. And so I think with things like this popping out, um, and Jason's right, I'm, I'm on the same page of uh, social media and. The engineering of people's attention and only giving you articles that they think you're going to believe in. Uh, I, th- I think that's moving in the wrong direction, but we're such a far cry away from Sandberg being discussed as a potential presidential candidate uh, in 2020 or 2024, and, and now you see the struggles behind the scenes here at Facebook. You look at shares of Facebook over the summer getting close to $220 a share, now it's down in the 130s. Yeah. I mean, it's basically down 40% from its high. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Taylor, because the, one of the most striking things to me over the past week has been sort of the I don't know if there's a rift between Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg, but it certainly seems like the spotlight is on the two of them in a way mm-hmm. that it really hasn't been before. And that's, you know, when I when I think about this business and I think about Thanksgiving later this week, one of the things I'm interested to talk to sort of younger people in my family about is Instagram, to what extent they are using it, mm-hmm. dropping it, you know, all that all that sort of thing. Um, but just the <laughs> You know, when we talk about things within a company that are rising and falling, we first and foremost look at the numbers. When I look at Facebook, when I think about what's rising, it has nothing to do with numbers. It's the drama at the company and it's the scrutiny Mm -hmm. on the company. Yeah, I I mean, I'm going to have to kind of hold my nose when I say this because ultimately I do think that from an investor's perspective, and that's our angle here, of course, I think you're pretty hard pressed to look at Facebook from today's levels. And see it as a bad investment opportunity. And and again, I'm not going to be going out and buying shares myself. I just don't like the company. Don't like the leadership. But you don't amass a user base of that size on accident, right? I mean, they, for better or worse, have figured out a way to connect billions of people on this planet, and they've got a number of different ways that they do it. And so, we talk about Facebook proper having sort of maybe its peak moment, and and that may be. I mean, we're certainly seeing more advertisers going over to Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, but you still have Instagram, you have WhatsApp, you have Messenger. I mean, you have a lot of different ways the business can still make money, and I think you have to resort back to human behavior. And I think, generally speaking, I think people are narcissists. I know that probably sounds bad to say, but the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people that like getting out there and showing you what they had for lunch. I'm not sure why, but they just feel like it's important. Hey, sometimes lunch is delicious. (laughs) It is. I get it. I know. I understand. Um, I don't think that's going to stop. And I I also think there are so many people where their behavior is already ingrained and that Facebook and its properties are part of their everyday life in communicating in one form or another. So I don't think you're going to see meaningful disruptions to the network. I think you may see meaningful disruptions to leadership. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Sandberg say, "You know what? I'm out." Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I think Zuckerberg needs her more than she needs him. Yeah, for her to come on in 2008 and just yeah. completely turn that business into a revenue and eventually profit generating machine. I mean, I, mean, I don't think Zuckerberg was doing that on his own. Politically with Google, I mean, she's got a lot of different ways that she can go about her future and obviously he's tied to this business. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're an investor, you probably have to be looking at Facebook and thinking this might be actually a pretty good opportunity. I think you just have to be you have to be aware of what's in store, and and it has you have to know your line as to whether this is the type of company that you want to own. Mm-hmm. So after Thanksgiving, of course, we've got Black Friday and all of the focus that happens on the retail industry. And something that we're starting to see evidence of is, I, I'm not taking a victory lap here, but I feel like we called Go ahead, the, take a victory. No, 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 <laughs> okay. I, I feel like we called this out earlier in the fall. Um, and that is, you know, we we always see late summer, early fall, large retailers coming out with their announcements of seasonal hiring. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about on this show and on Motley Fool Money was, well, this will be interesting to see when you know whether. And I'm not picking on Target, but when Target comes out and says, well, we're gonna we're gonna hire 100,000, 125,000, whatever the number is, seasonal workers. Macy's makes the same announcement. So does Walmart, etc. And at the time, we were saying, "Well, this is going to be interesting because uh, we're now—you know—it's not 2010. We're now in an yeah. environment where unemployment is incredibly low and wages are on the rise. Mm-hmm. And now it really seems, Taylor, like, yeah, companies are having a tough time hiring because, among other things, some businesses are throwing hiring parties yeah, to try right. and get people in the door. It's wild to think like with unemployment as low as it is, you know, under 5%, uh, that it's going to be harder to find and more expensive to find this seasonal labor as companies are going to have to bump up that potential $8 an hour up to, you know, 10, 15, Amazon saying that they're going to advocate for that $15 minimum wage across the country and I think that goes to a couple different points maybe some competitive points of Bezos trying to flush out some people that can't afford $15 an hour um, either that or just cuz he saw, foresaw uh, a tighter seasonal employment market and was like hey you know here's our 15 if you can beat it go go work there but if you can't we're going to give it to you um, and just they'll be the first season that they hire their own uh, delivery drivers for seasonal delivery. Uh, so I think there's a lot more competition out there, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit more costly. But you know you probably see a lot maybe younger folks. Maybe this is the chance for uh, some high schoolers to get out there and make an extra buck um, because they might not have traditionally been hired for this seasonal work. Yeah, I kind of feel like the conversations always steered around uh, autonomous driving, robot cars, and all that stuff. And to me, like this is by far and away. The, I mean, at least in the near term, the more significant opportunity. I mean, I don't understand how all of these fast food restaurants at this point are not just fully autonomous. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're offering these bespoke menus where you just go in and you, I'll have a Whopper with, well, maybe with a Whopper, you tell them what you want on it. But I mean, generally speaking, you're getting like what you want uh, based off this prefix menu. So, I mean, I don't know how many years left we have of these types of restaurants maintaining these big human workforces. To me, it seems like we're going more towards the um, the automated direction anyway with them. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just kind of astounding that uh, that they haven't gotten there quicker. It's food. It's not cars. It's not like you got to worry about burgers crashing into each other. I mean, then just you know, make another burger, right? I mean, I have seen some robots I'm, flipping burgers. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. fascinating. Well, I mean, that stuff to is watch. there. It's, it does exist. Yeah, it does. And, and I mean, like incredible. you see the soft drink carousel, for example. I mean, those are fairly automated now. I yeah. mean, I have to believe it shouldn't be that big of a leap. It's certainly been a tough year for the restaurant industry in terms of the stocks. We've seen plenty of restaurants be taken private this year. But to your point, Jason, I do feel like uh, the bar is higher for retailers than it is for restaurants because people can have a. You would need to have a really bad experience at a fast food restaurant to not go back there at some point in the future. Yep. Whereas I feel like when it comes to retailers over the holiday season, they almost don't have the option about. 
employing seasonal workers. They've got because if if you go into a Target and you're looking for whatever's on your list, if you're gonna, you know, if you find someone who's helpful to you, you know, that's gonna yeah. stick with you. You're gonna go back. Whereas you're otherwise gonna hold a grudge. I mean, I I know people who have had bad retail experiences at you know retailer X. And they say that's it. I'm done. I'm yeah. never going there because I have other options. You kind of expect, at least my, my perspective, you kind of expect a little bit more curt service at a fast food restaurant. You're just like, hey, here's what you want. Here's what you got. Yeah. Thank you. See you again in a day. And it'll only take five minutes to get you your food next time. Whereas retail, at least in person, definitely more personable. And uh, you like the environment to be a little bit more structured so you can actually find what you're looking for since you have to search for it. Whereas as a fast food or, or dining chain, it's all laid out for you right there on a the menu. By the way, I know that there's a science behind this, but it just occurred to me the whole thing where um, you know how grocery stores will change up which aisles things go in just <laughs> yeah, because sure. people people yeah. get into a routine when yeah. they go to a grocery store, and so I, I don't know if it's every 12 months or every, whatever it is. I just know it happens because mm-hmm. I go to the grocery store and I'm like, wait a minute, where's where you move <laughs> Twilight the, Zone? You move the spice aisle, and that <laughs> that, appe- that appears to be a phenomenon that only happens in grocery stores because I uh, everything the you know the Target that's down here on Route One. Everything's the same, yeah. like in terms of the location, which is good. I don't want like if Target ever decided let's just let's just screw with people, let's let's break up their routine. I, I, people would lose their mind. Yeah, move the beer aisle. Yeah, I think it's perhaps related to the size because I will say like when I was in the golf business and part of the golf business is running a golf shop at the country club, and so you can imagine that shop is significantly smaller than something like a Target, and we would switch that thing up all the time. But I also know that it takes maybe five minutes to walk through that entire shop, right. whereas if you go to Target, you're like. Oh man, I've got about five minutes, and if it takes me five minutes to even figure out that they changed where things were, uh, then then I mean you've got a problem. Yes, yeah, so I think consistent consistency in that regard is something that they almost have to rely on. I mean that has to happen. Quick shout out to Rocket Mortgage uh, because of rising interest rates, a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home. Some folks are getting nervous, and our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about it. It's called the Power Buying Process, and it works like this. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, and once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive rate shield approval. They will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop, and the best part is if rates go up, and come on. I mean, you tell me. You tell me where you're betting on where interest rates are going. <laughs> if rates go up, your rate stays the same, and if rates go down, your rate also drops, so you win either way. It's the kind of thinking you would expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3031. I'm kidding. It's number 3030. Uh, Programming note, uh, this weekend on Motley Fool Money, we've got our annual Thanksgiving special. And it is special because it's the only show that we have during the year that has a sound effect. We blow the entire sound effects budget on the one. (laughs) The one turkey sound. Also, on Friday's episode of Industry Focus, it's the return of Kyle Pounders. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Kyle Pounders, the man behind Excaliburger, because Dan and I and Dylan Lewis met him earlier this year at South by Southwest. I talked about him on Market Foolery. Dan and Dylan put together a great 
a special episode of Industry Focus earlier this year, um, talking with Kyle and sort of the the business of of having a food truck and uh, pay it forward burger. Yes, yeah. and Kyle Kyle came to Fool HQ. Did you get a chance to partake in the? Or you so, were out of town. It, well, no, I had just gotten back in. It was funny. I was pulling out of the garage that evening, leaving, and I saw him parked there right on the side, yeah. and he was having a little car trouble. But I was able to stop and and talk with him, and and I tried to give him a jump start, but I think maybe it was a little bit more. Than, than was needed, but um, super nice guy. Just really enjoyed talking. Great to guy him. and a fantastic burger. Um, so here's one more thing folks can talk about uh, at the table at Thanksgiving if if the conversation turns to politics, and that is uh, entertainment, because most people like entertainment. And uh, from a business standpoint, the, you pointed this out earlier today, Jason. I mean, the the trend that we've seen uh, over the past few years continues, and that is more and more people cutting the cord. Yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, I, I certainly remember not all that long ago saying, "Hey, I want to keep the cord." I mean, I like having that that optionality out there, and I mean, it came at a price. I mean, our Verizon bill every month for that option was going on, you know, one hundred fifty dollars for that option. Uh, and for me, what really changed my mind was when Hulu came out with this skinny bundle offering. Yahoo, I mean, uh, YouTube has one very similar, and and we're seeing more and more now that not only are these Modern content providers coming out with those options, but we're seeing that the legacy providers are having to do the same thing. Really, it is changing uh, the bundle, so to speak. But we are getting to a point where it feels like now that cost justification doesn't quite exist like it used to, unless you're willing to make sacrifices. And some people are, and that's fine. I mean, some people are very happy just to have that Netflix subscription, and that's all they really want anyway. Mm-hmm. But you know, it used to be that really it was like either Netflix or cable. You had to choose. Now it's not so. I mean, it could be cable or any number of of different apps and services that you want to piece together if you like sports, news, entertainment, whatever it may be. Um, so, it, it, you know, from the perspective of a consumer, it's it's really nice. You can get what you want when you want, um, but. You're starting to pay for it, and I'm telling you right now, Netflix ain't lowering that price. <laughs> They're not lowering that price, Chris. No, you're going to see more and more. Whether it's ESPN Plus or Disney Plus or HBO or Netflix, thankfully Amazon is able to build their streaming service into the Prime relationship, and you don't really think about that, so to speak. Hulu, they're all the prices are going to go up uh, because that's just the direction that this goes. So. Uh, we get back to kind of where we started. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of all of that, but uh, but that's that's where we are. Yeah, I guess the one cord you're not cutting is your internet cable, uh, because yeah. that's that's yeah. the base of all of this. And so um, you still look at companies like Comcast and Verizon and uh, Time Warner that are providing this cable, this internet service. Um, I think that's that portion of the bill is probably going to go up a little bit more if people continue to cut the cable or the telephone portion of the bundle out. Maybe once Netflix or these other companies bump up against. Uh, a little bit of a subscriber growth issue. Maybe they could partner with Verizon instead of selling an internet cable bundle. You sell an internet Netflix bundle or something like that. And I'll be interested to follow the whole Comcast Disney situation here with Hulu because Disney bought into the Sky Sky Network and with Fox and. Now they own 60% of Hulu, I think. Comcast still yep. owns 30%. So a little bit of a competitive market there, owning the same bundle service. And so it'd be interesting to see if Comcast holds on to that or maybe ships it for a few billion dollars to Disney to give them 90% control and see how that plays out. But that's one of the more interesting situations, I think, in this whole cut the cord bundling situation. 
what are you watching these days in terms of uh, entertainment, whether it's you know streaming or I'm assuming it's streaming as opposed to a you know traditional broadcast television show. Yeah, you know, I think so. I saw where the new season of Narcos mm-hmm. is out on uh, Netflix, and that frankly is the only series on Netflix I've ever really felt like I wanted to watch. Yeah. So I'll probably catch up on that. And then another one, I went digging back last week and on on Amazon and I mean on HBO too. But they have an old HBO series called Carnival, and it only went on for two seasons. Oh yeah, I think. But I, I had read some really good reviews about it, so I gave the first couple of episodes a shot. It's it's pretty compelling. I'm gonna watch. The story play out. Yeah, um, Narcos. I just started the new. It's not a. It's a new season, but also kind of a new direction. It's in Mexico yeah. now versus South America and Colombia. Uh, so, two two episodes in, and that's one of the few shows that I, that I'm watching. Uh, Ozarks is is over for the season, and uh, Billions is over until the spring. So. I'm all in on Narcos. Uh, I just started rewatching the first season of Goliath on Amazon. Prime, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I, I so enjoyed that series. Is that Billy Bob Thornton? It's Billy Bob yeah. Thornton, sort of down and out uh-huh. lawyer, and um, it's just it is the first <laughs> season. It, it's as you've said before, Jason. A little dark. <laughs> a little dark. It gets a little dark. A little the second dark. season gets a little darker, but uh, but that that first season is just. Phenomenal storytelling. Speaking of phenomenal seasons, the one that stands out to me to this day, HBO series called Boardwalk Empire. Season three Mm. of Boardwalk Empire may be the best season of anything I've ever seen. Just the story that it told, and it incorporated a character. I think Bobby Cannavale is the uh, is the is the actor who played uh, Geppetto. Just just a man. Great story. Good series. Season three of Boardwalk Empire. Is it really one, on point. Man. One of those shows where you have to watch one. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna are, say. It. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little right bummed that you said. Oh, <laughs> yeah. season three. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, I got to go through the first two. You could probably watch season three, and it would stand on its own. I mean, I would recommend the whole series. Now, with that said, each episode is as exhausting. As like <laughs> the Untouchables. I mean, it's like watching the Untouchables every time For you an watch hour an episode. Every day, yeah. It's great, but you just got to commit like a year to it. <laughs> That's Love good. It. I feel I feel like those those are the types of things that you need to hear from friends who recommend series because what what people often hear is, oh, watch this, it's great, mm-hmm. and and then you know the second level of information is, well, it's a comedy, it's a drama, that sort of thing, but. I always appreciate when it's like, look, this is a great show, <laughs> but you're going to need a nap after each and every <laughs> episode. Right. How much time does this guy think I have? It is draining to watch this show. <laughs> it's great. It's phenomenal storytelling, and it's exhausting. Taylor Markman, Jason Moser. Guys, happy Thanksgiving. You too, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.